1: We are right in the middle of a three-week series uh, during which we are getting to know God better in the ways that we sang just a little while ago. Last week, we got to know God a little bit better as the Waymaker, and I hope that God has been showing you many different ways that He is the Waymaker in your life. Uh, this week, I'm very glad He's the Waymaker for me this morning. Uh, I got in my truck to come here this morning, and it just went click. It didn't the engine didn't start, and uh, so um, I'm like, "Oh, I can't take that today. My, So I, I stole my wife's car, and uh, I drove it here this morning. She wasn't ready to go yet, so she had to stay home. and uh, so uh, thankfully, God has also provided a waymaker for her to be able to be part of this service today online. And so very thankful for everybody who's online with us today as well. But uh, waymaker and miracle worker last week. Today, we want to get to know God as the promise keeper. Uh, anybody here want God to keep his promises? No. I want God to keep his promises. In fact, we, we, we kind of search for evidence and indicators that God is keeping his promises, and we kind of run to those promises that he gives us. It's interesting, this week, I read that uh, on the website, BibleStudyTools.com, uh, they they track uh, who is searching for what on that site, and uh, they said this year, out of the all of the verses in the Bible, there are ten that rose to the top as as far as frequency is concerned how many people search for those verses more than any other verses in all the Bible. So out of 31,100 some odd verses, um, these 10 rose to the top as they normally do because all 10 of those have to do with God's promises. And people love to hear what God has promised them and, and they claim those promises over their lives. The number one most searched verse this last year was a verse that we actually looked at last week, a promise that God made in Jeremiah 29, 11, that I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you hope in a future. Number one searched verse, because people want that promise from God. The second most searched Verse, according to their website, uh, also contains a promise. In fact, because of the comforting promise that accompanies the I am being one's shepherd, David wrote Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, verse 1, according to the uh, contemporary English version, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will never be in need. Because he promises to provide green pastures, still waters, abundantly prepared tables, cups of blessing that overflow, lives filled with goodness and mercy, as the rest of the psalm continues to detail. That's a promise from God. And the Apostle Paul basically said the same thing, less poetic, but more straightforward. In the fifth most searched verse, according to that website, Found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, which says, My God will supply all of your needs according to his, to his riches and glory. But at the risk of pouring cold water on those warm, fuzzy thoughts and feelings, what about when God doesn't provide a need for you? What about those times when you have needs that have gone unmet? Um, I mean, the Apostle Paul said, My God will supply all of your needs. So then what what's going on when you feel like your needs aren't being met? F- seven verses before Paul wrote that in Philippians chapter four. Philippians four twelve, the apostle Paul actually said, I know what it is to be in need. <laughs> He said, there's times in my lives where I have not had all of my needs met, and there have been extended periods of time in my life where that has been true. In fact, he detailed that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. He said, I have often, often gone without sleep. Anybody here need sleep? We all need sleep, but Paul said there's been many occasions in my life where i 've gone without sleep that need didn 't get met. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. Anybody here need water and food? Yes, we all do because we can 't live without water and food. But Paul said there have been times where i didn 't have that need met i have been cold, and I have been naked. Anybody here need clothes? (laughs) We all do. Paul said, there have been times in my life where those needs have not been met. And you know what? It was true of David too. The guy who wrote Psalm 23 and said, the Lord is my shepherd. I'll never be in need. And yet there were times where he had needs. There were times where there weren't green pastures because he was forced to live in the desert because people were trying to kill him. There were times where he didn't have those abundantly prepared tables overflowing with food because he was living in a cave where he couldn't reach the food. There were times where he went naked and he went hungry and he was cold and he wasn't provided for either. So how can we reconcile their painful experiences with the promises that God gave them and they even passed on to others? Exodus chapter 16 records Israel's struggle with that very paradox. Two seemingly incongruent facts when I am his shepherd, yet I am hungry. The great I am promised to meet every need the Israelites would have when he told them, I am leading you out Of slavery. I am taking you away from the bondage in Egypt. And I'm going to take you to a new place. Where all of your needs are going to be met. And I'm going to meet your needs along the way. That's basically what God said. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 17. This is right before they departed. God said. I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt. And into a land. Flowing with milk and honey. I promise to meet all of your needs. And yet a mere 30 days later, just 30 days later, the people of Israel found themselves in such a needy situation that it it says in Exodus chapter 16, verses two and three, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. All of them were grumbling because there was a problem. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and ate all of the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And so they were struggling with that paradox of God is the promise keeper, yet I have needs. So how do we rectify that whole thing? Well, their struggle and God's response to their struggle and their not knowing how to put that together provides for us five ways to know the promise keeper, to know God as the promise keeping God. Way number one. We have to adjust our perception of God's promises. We have to adjust our perception of our problems. We have to adjust our perception of what we're seeing and what we're feeling and what we are experiencing. In fact, we have to adjust our perception of everything. That's really basic to everything when we we have to encounter when we are under God's direction. Because as we said last week, God doesn't always take us the way that we think we ought to go. He takes us in different ways. Why is that? Because he can see things we can't see. And we need to start seeing things the way God sees things because God doesn't see things in 3D. God sees things in 4D. We see things in those three dimensions, but God has a whole fourth dimension that he sees. It's called the spiritual dimension. It's called the spiritual world that's all around us, but we can't see it. But God created it, and God is the one who is the spirit who is leading that. And so he makes his decisions about what goes on in our life according to what he can see in all of those dimensions, not just the three. And so we need to change our perception about everything. Israel's struggle largely was due to the fact that their perception and their expectation of how God can and will meet needs was locked in to what they could see and what they knew and what they had experienced just like ours, limited by what is known and what our experiences are and what our resources are. Israel's perception of their situation drastically affected their view of God because their perception was based on what they were seeing and what they were feeling. And in that moment, what were they feeling? Hunger pains. Why were they, feel, were they feeling hunger pains? Because they were 30 days into a 20-day trip. <laughs> it would normally would take people like three weeks to, to, to walk from Egypt to Canaan. And so they were expecting. Okay, it's going to take us about three weeks to get there. I mean, I mean, it probably would have taken them a little longer because there was like a million of them. Uh, imagine how many bathroom stops that was going to require. Um, okay, all million of you, take care of it now because we're not going to stop till we get there. No, that wasn't going to happen. But they knew it was going to take somewhere around three weeks, and so they would have they would have packed the resources that they need, the food that they need to last for about three weeks. Now they're on day thirty. They're 10 days past that. Their supplies, their resources are dwindling and by this time almost totally gone. And so their perception of God was was limited by what they brought with them. And now that was gone. Their perception of God was limited by how they would have solved that problem had they been back in Egypt. You ran out of food, you grow some more. You run out of food, you go hunting, or you raise some, some livestock. That's how you, you solve that. They couldn't do that, number one, and as, as they were traveling, but they were also in the desert. And they couldn't stop and raise enough food to feed them. And so their, their perception of the problem was limited by all those things they could see and they could feel. And because they were out of options from known resources, they thought God was out of options too. And so according to what they were feeling and thinking, God's promise to provide seemed rather empty, scored a very low score on the scale of one to 10, because everything they were experiencing said, God is not keeping his promise. And we tend to limit God to our resources, to our nest eggs, to our bank accounts, to our ability to earn income. And when those things started getting low, how we're going to rectify that and how we're going to change that and how we need to work harder or get a, a part-time job or, or do whatever we have to do to build that up. Man, when all of those things, our resources and our resourcefulness dries up, we begin to doubt whether or not God is a promise keeper, just like they did. And so we need to take the second step here. The second way to know God as the promise keeper is to allow for God's creativity. Allow for God's creativity. Don't put God in a box of what we know because God knows so much more than we know. And when God is the creator. Look at look at uh, Israel's reaction when God did keep his promise to provide when God did come through in uh, chapter 16, verse, verse 15, it said, when the Israelites saw it, what was it? It was the manna. Because God provided, as he said he was going to, by, by providing this bread from heaven, as he called it, that came down, settled on the ground, and, and when the Israelites saw it, the manna, they said to each other, what is it? We've never seen anything like this before. What is this stuff? In fact, they didn't even know what to call it. It says later in the text that they were the ones who called it manna. Manna literally means in the Hebrew language, what is it? <laughs> what are we going to call this? Well, let's just call it. watch them and call it because I don't know what to call it because we don't know what it is. They, they, they had no concept because it wasn't from their normal way of getting their need of hunger met it wasn't normal bread it wasn't normal food it didn't have yeast in it it didn't have flour in it they'd never seen it before and they 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 had kept God in such a small box that they they just couldn't even track with God that he was doing this wonderful thing for them but God said i don't have to have flour and yeast. I can do things in a supernatural way. And that's exactly what God did in, in, in chapter 16, verse 4. God said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough just for that day. Supernatural bread made in heavenly ovens or however God chose to make it. That was, that was better than any bread that they could make. In fact, it tells us in the text, it tasted like coriander seeds mixed with honey. It was like my southern mama's biscuits that she would pull out of the oven and you'd open them up and put butter on there and then pour honey all over them. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to breakfast. Just, I know you guys are almost to lunchtime and that's mean to talk about stuff like that. Um, But But this was great that God was was going to provide, but it was in a supernatural way, stuff they had never tasted anything that good before. So here's the point What does God need to meet your need? What does God need to meet your need? What did God need? to feed 5,000 hungry men and all of their children and their wives on a hillside. When Jesus was here, God in the flesh, what did he need to meet their need? He needed just five of those biscuits and a couple of sardines, and he turned it into a feast that fed everybody. What does God need to sustain your life? What did God need to create everything that exists, everything that we can see and touch and feel and so much more that's out there in a universe that's so big we can't even measure it. What did God need to to create all that? Nothing. He can meet our needs out of nothing because all he needs is his word and his desire to do so. And so We need to start expecting the unexpected when it comes to God being the the promise keeper. Allow him to be the creator to keep his promises in ways that we wouldn't even think of. Because God wants to surprise us sometimes. Why does he want to do that? Why is God so different than what we are? Why does he provide in ways that we don't expect? Third way to know him as the promise keeper. Apply God's reasons for how and when to keep his promises. His reasons are so much better than our reasons. You see, we want God to to keep his promise so that my stomach can be full. God has a bigger and better reason to keep a promise than filling my stomach. God has a, a bigger and better reason to keep his promise than to fill our bank accounts or to give us more stuff. Now, all of that is important, but God says you need to, to think on a different level than that, uh, a different reason. Notice what God said. In fact, he gave the reason, that fourth verse that we just read, the first part of, when God said, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. That then he said, in this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. That, that was his reason. And we kind of look at that and turn our head sideways a little bit and say, but that doesn't sound very loving. I mean, it sounds kind of like God is an egocentric leader. I'm just going to test them to see if they're going to do what I say. It kind of sounds like God is one of those teachers that maybe you had in school that would create tests just to see how many people they could flunk. Make the tests so hard. No, that's that's not the kind of test God is talking about here. In fact, the word that's translated test, it means to prove or to strengthen or to build up, not to tear down, to build up. It's the kind of test I made my son go through when he was in high school. Every summer, get to be about the middle or last part of July when my son was in high school, I would say, son, you need to go run. Dad, I don't want to go run. It's hot. It's humid. It hurts. I don't like to run. I don't want to go run. But you need to go run. We need to to see how far you can run and see what your endurance is and see if we can increase that endurance. Well, I don't want to do that. But we need to do that. Why did we need to do that? Not because I was being a mean dad who just wanted to see how far my son could run before he passed out. It was because he loved this thing called football, and football was coming, and in August, they went through three-a-day practices, and I knew if he didn't start running now, he was going to die in those three-a-day practices, so I was trying to build up his endurance and build up his strength by putting him through that test. And that's exactly what God is talking about here is he says, I want to build you up. I want to strengthen you. I want you to help you to grow. That's what the apostle James talked about in James chapter one, verse three. Notice he says the testing of your faith. You know, we think faith is just all about being warm and fuzzy and God loving us in comfortable ways. No, God says, In your faith, in your walk with me, there will be these kinds of tests. The testing of your faith, notice, develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete and not lack anything. I want to make you better, so I'm going to put you through this test. I want to make you better, so I'm going to provide for you in a way that will make you better. I'm going to keep my promise in a way that will make you stronger and more mature. That was Moses' explanation after the fact. The whole book of Deuteronomy is like a a commentary that Moses wrote after the fact on the events that happened throughout the Exodus. And so in in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses was given a commentary on the reasons why God was doing what he was doing when he provided the manna and the reasons why they had to be hungry for a time. He said, "The, the Lord wanted to find out if you were truly willing to obey him and depend on him. So he made you go hungry. And then he gave you manna, a kind of food That you and your ancestors have never heard about. Why would God do that? Next verse. The Lord was teaching you that people need more than food to live. They need every word that comes from the Lord. There are some things that are more important than food. We need food to live. But what do we need for real life? We need God and who he is. We need the words that he speaks We need the promises that he makes and how he fulfills them. You see, a test is a teaching tool about what we really need to live, about what's really most important and vital in life, which brings us to the fourth way to know God as the promise keeper. Adopt the priority of God's promises. Adopt God's priority list. When I was growing up, I, I heard the phrase, and my parents practically wore out the phrase on me, first things first. First things first. Anybody else have parents that, that gave you that phrase, first things first? Why did they wear it out on me? Because I had a tendency to want the things that were less beneficial than the things that were more needy, needful. Uh, for instance, I wanted pie and ice cream. My my mom, that Southern cooking gal, she was like, at least in my opinion, the world's best pie maker, especially apple pie. And uh, you put some ice cream on top of that and you are just in heaven. And so there would be times when I I wanted apple pie and ice cream and mom would say, no. Why, anything wrong with pie and ice cream? No, but first things first, it's it's wrong when you ask for it at five o'clock. No, you can't have pie and ice cream now. You've got to eat supper first, and then you can have some pie and ice cream. And mom being that Southern gal, you have to realize that sometimes supper included fried okra. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had fried okra, and maybe you had it different than I did, but the way mom cooked it, crunchy on the outside and slimy in the middle. And it was nasty stuff once you got past the, the crust on the outside. And I never told mom that, I'd choke it down and I would eat it. Why would anybody eat that stuff? To get to the pie and ice cream. Had <laughs> to eat everything on your plate. Then you got the pie and ice cream. But mom had to teach me first things first. Like all kids, I wanted to go straight to the dessert. So did God's children, Israel. In their case, it wasn't pie and ice cream. It was milk and honey. They want to go straight to the milk and honey. That was the dessert prepared for them at the end of the journey. (laughs) Let's go straight there. Let's, Let's forget about this nutritional stuff that's going to help me grow and mature and be stronger. I want to go straight to the milk and honey. But the heavenly father said, no, first things first. And that's how God fulfills his promises. That's the priority list. In fact, sometimes God provides the lower Priorities in response to our uh, pursuit of the higher ones. When we when we pick the first things, he said, "Okay, now you can have other things." That's exactly what Jesus said. That was the principle he gave in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse thirty-two. Jesus said, "Don't worry," saying, "What shall I eat? Where's the pie and ice cream? What shall I drink?" What shall I wear? But first things first, seek first his kingdom. First priority for you, make him the king of your life. Let him be Lord. Let him lead. Let him be the decision maker. Let him be the one who is taking you where he needs to take you. Seek first His kingdom and His ways of doing things. That's righteousness. And then all of these other things will be given to you as well. Then He will give you the lower things that are also important. But you need to know Him first. And so that was the first priority that God set for His people then, and He does that now. Notice what it says in verse 9. Before the manna even came... God was showing them the the priority list of what they really needed to to take care of first. It says, Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. He's heard that you're hungry. He knows you're hungry. He's going to provide for your your hunger. But there's a first thing that you need to do. You need to come before the Lord. Now, that phrase isn't just talking proximity. Proximity. Uh, although it was kind of for them because God was visible in the pillar of cloud and fire. And so if they were going to come worship God, they would just go to the pillar because that, that's where God was. But God was, was talking about the concept of come before me in worship. This is the phrase that's used over and over again in the book of Leviticus that describes ceremonial worship. They would The priests would come before God to worship and adore Him, and they would never come in empty-handed. They would always come with an offering. In fact, the word come before in Leviticus 95 times is translated offer the Lord. That's true worship. Come before Him, offering yourselves to Him. Seek Him first, His kingdom, His rule first, His ways first, and then The manna will come. But uh, children of Israel hadn't been very good at that yet. Worship must be a first thing, but for them it had only actually happened one time in 30 days. They'd only stopped and really worshipped God one time in 30 days. Why? Why so seldom? Because they were so preoccupied with the journey. And with the stuff, and how long is the food going to last? And where's the water that we're going to need? And when are we going to get there? And why do we have to go this direction? And they were so occupied with the details of the journey that worship kind of got pushed out. And the same is true with us. We get so wrapped up in our jobs and our kids and our bills and our schedules and our wants and how to maintain all the stuff that that worship gets crowded out. And then we wonder why God seems so far away and why the needs still are not getting met. And Jesus said, well, when you're worrying about about all that kind of stuff, just flip the priority list. Seek me first. Worship God first. I need to give just a little bit of a warning here because we have this tendency to say, okay, um, I want to do that. Okay, God, I've worshiped you. I went to church. I gave an offering and I I gave you my time. So where are the promises? You know, we kind of have that tendency to treat God like a vending machine. Okay, I, I, I chucked in the worship. Where's my candy bar? That's not the attitude. That's the attitude I had with the okra. <laughs> Choke down the okra so I can get the pie and ice cream. So it better be there. No, it, he's talking about true worship. Worshiping as a, as a true priority. It is desiring God more than I desire food. Desiring a relationship with him more than I desire money. More than I desire things. And when we desire him and worship him that way, he will keep his promises to provide what we need when we need it in his way, in his time, for his reasons. And when he does, don't leave out the fifth way to know him as the promise keeper. The fifth way is this activate your memory, activate your memory. Was was sending manna the first time God had kept a promise to his people in recent memory? (laughs) Not by, by any means. I mean, if they would have just stopped and started taking account, you know, look back over the last two months, Israelites. Has God kept any promises for you? He sent Moses to you to, to lead you. He equipped Moses with signs and wonders to show the power of God. He convinced all of the Egyptians, not just the leader of Egypt, to let the people go through through miraculous plagues that, by the way, the children of Israel were, were spared of, but went through all of Egypt so that the Egyptians were so glad that they were leaving. They gave them gold and precious jewels and enriched them on their journey so they they were no longer poor, but now they were even material, materially rich. God protected them from Pharaoh in, in, when he was in pursuit. God moved behind and protected. God, God opened a, a whole ocean so they could walk through on dry land. And then God took care of their attackers with the ocean going back in place. Miracle after miracle, promise after promise, he kept all of those promises for, for days and days and days and days and all that happened in like a two month period of time. But boy, as soon as my stomach starts feeling a little empty, totally forgotten. I mean, it's like, the, it's like they wrote all of that in the sands of the sea and when the waves came crashing in it was all, all washed away. So God says, um, this time, I want you to carve my promises in stone when I keep I want you to do something to remind yourself and to remind other people that God is a faithful, promise-keeping God. And so, in chapter 16, beginning in verse 32, he instructed Moses to take a jar, put some of the watchamacallit bread in there, keep it in a place where people were going to be able to see it, and be reminded that God is faithful and he he keeps his promises in ways that are most beneficial for you. And he will always do that so you can always go back and take a look and know that he is a promise keeping God. Don't just write it in the sand, carve it in stone. Do you realize how many ways God has kept the Philippians 4:19 promise that He will supply all of your needs just in the last 24 hours. I mean, st- stop and think about it. Just in the last 24 hours. I know you're all hungry for lunch today, but did you did you get any yesterday? Did you get some food yesterday? Did you, did you have a home to maintain on a Saturday and, and take care of that God's blessed you with? Did you get some supper last night? Did you have some entertainment yesterday? Did God meet all those needs in your life? Was there any shortage of the food from your cupboards and in your refrigerator? Did you go to bed last night and have to sleep on a rock? Or did you have a comfortable bed with a comfortable pillow that Jesus didn't even have? did god let you fall asleep and rejuvenate your body last night was god faithful enough to wake you up this morning that you were still breathing and god was providing the oxygen in the air for you to breathe this morning did god give you some breakfast did god let you plug that machine in so those coffee beans could provide that life-giving juice for you this morning did god give you some electricity to cook your breakfast with do you have a house that covers your head so you don't have to sleep in the rain Okay, I mean, we can just go on and on and on and on. I'm so thankful that I don't have three rooms in a path. <laughs> We've got running water that God meets that need in abundant ways. God is a faithful, promise-keeping God. But as soon as we start getting a little hungry, as soon as the bank account starts getting a little short, as soon as I feel like I'm going to run out of something, those promises just get washed away. So let's stop forgetting. Let's do some things to carve God's faithfulness in stone. So the next time you don't think you see or feel him working, you'll still know he is the promise keeper. And that is who he is today. That's who he will be tomorrow. And that's who he always will be. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Because you are a faithful God. We thank you. And we praise you that all of your promises are yes. They may not be yes today. They may not be yes tomorrow. But someday when you know the timing's right and you know that our needs are getting met and you know how we're going to be strengthened and built up by it, you're going to say yes. We thank you that your promises are amen. They're true. Bye. You haven't lied to us. You haven't deceived us. We, we claim you as the promise-keeping God today, and we trust you to be that in ways that we cannot even imagine. And so we thank you that you are our creator, you are our redeemer, and you have drawn us back to yourself through Jesus Christ. And so we praise you today in his name.
0: As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect